morning, everyone, and welcome to Silent General. Uh, we're so excited to have you join us. So good to have everyone on board. We're so excited to have you join us. edition of Silent General. The vision behind Silent General is because we have a generation of people and we've come to terms with the fact that the serious um, moral decadence, correct role models are gradually evading the scene. And we have so many people looking for real life stories and real life people to share how they've been able to transit and transition from who they used to be to who they are. Many people are, see the successes, they don't understand the struggles behind it, the story behind it, they don't understand the test behind the testimony. And that's why we're bringing up Silent General to have this generation listen to real people, real people that had real issues, real struggles, and today they're telling the stories of their triumphs and the stories and the testimony on the Silent General. So I want to welcome all of you with me to Silent General, and we welcome you on board. So we're going straight into the conversation. The first thing I would love him to do for us is to give us an introduction of who is, where is it coming <laughs> from, we, who is he today? Baptist boy with his Baptist parents. Then later on, I was moved to Lagos at a very young age to tell my grandmother, who was a Muslim. So I practiced Islam for a longer part. And then later on, at some point, I gained admission to Mayflower, junior school Ikene under Tai Sholani who was an atheist alright so in school I became I had to be an atheist at home I have to be a Muslim and during the holidays I have to be a Christian you know and uh, so imagine all that on a young child so primary school like I said in school you're not allowed to hold Bible you're not allowed to talk about God your Sundays are all manner of things and then so I've been done that for three months of atheism then I won't go home I stay with my grandmother who is Muslim and then you, I practice Islam for a while and then maybe for one or two two weeks when I go to visit my parents, you know, I practice Christianity, you know, so that's the tripod, you know, of my life of, of religion for me growing up. And of course, since I was not established and grounded in any of these things, I didn't take any of them serious because whether it's easy, I didn't have enough time to practice it. Whether uh, Islam, I didn't have enough time to practice it. And Christianity too, I didn't have enough time to practice. So for me, it was just like a show of all manner of um, philosophies and psychology, really, you know, until as I began to develop, I began to realize, uh, you know, my own identity, found out that none of those things, it didn't appeal to me. Christianity didn't appeal to me again. I've been too far from it. Even though my parents were Christian and all that, then I went to secondary school. I think I lost this from primary school. For my primary school days, I joined all manner of uh, gangs and things, you know, exposed to pornography and sexuality very early, maybe from primary three, thereabouts, you know, fightings, because we are in a boarding primary school you have to defend yourself you know so i'm about to defend myself and fight for myself all, all almost all along so i'm um, when you have to, when a child has to fight for himself and defend himself you get tough something has to die on your inside to leave you know for you to survive because um you have to be comfortable with violence at some point you know, so I think after a while, I have to get comfortable with violence, having to defend myself against seniors, against people that want to take your thing. So, of course, I entered secondary school. From there, I got into a very terrible set of people. You know, I wasn't into drugs in primary school. I was just into violence. But by secondary school, I was already into drugs, you know. Um, very early and then later on I became by the time I was in SS class I was already friends with a lot of cultists I was like a some sort of armor bearer for cult. I, I had not joined them but uh, an armor bearer was someone who they kept their weapons with when they are in trouble so even though I was in secondary school uh, they used to keep their weapons in my house you know in case um, student union government wants to come and search their homes you know and then arrest cultists so they used to keep their things in my house and then they come to pick it when there is a fight or the 
there's something, you know. So I was some sort of an armor bearer for them. Because getting into the university, I knew my path was already set in life. Uh, I was going to join those people, you know. I really wanted. It wasn't like the first me. Some people were forced. I know in, um, some of my friends were forced into courtism. I know that for me, I was in forced. I wanted to be there. I looked forward to it. I, like I said, early in life, I was accustomed to violence, you know. So I mean, from primary school, you know, so secondary school, I always had fights, you know. And then my streets in Yanopaja, where I grew up, it was always bloody. So I mean, so drugs just helped to enhance the person, uh, the time bomb in me then was already ticking, you know, uh, and all that. So then, yeah, so I was in the university, I was a bit of pre-degree in Lautech and all that. And then from there, I got shipped off to Obafemi Awolo University to continue my courtist quest, as it were. I had only one goal in life then. The only goal was to really, really be a don. That was the only goal. That was the only thing I was living for, you know, and... Um, I was com- that was the only thing. That's the truth. You know, I couldn't see beyond that. You know, for some reason that I couldn't explain. I, I wish I could explain why that was, but I don't know why. But that was the only thing I wanted to be. The only thing I wanted to be was to be the head of the cult. Um, and I was so determined that whoever was in front of me, I was going to take them out and become it. You know, and all that. So I was shipped off to Obafemi Awolowo University, and um, on getting there um, was when one night I had gone to take some drugs, and then I think my mind was already messed. Up. So uh, I stepped into this amphitheater in Ife, and that was the night that a fellowship called Christ Love Fellowship was having their services. And for me then, I thought it was a show. I thought it was a club. And so I walked in, and um, to the glory of God, the man of God was giving ministry that night. I was not, I don't think, I was not even listening to what he was saying. That's the sincere truth. I didn't, at least before a man um, is convicted, at least he has to hear something. For me, I didn't hear anything. That was sincere truth. Uh, I, I didn't hear one jack word that he said that night. I was more focused on the girls, the ushers that were moving up and down in church. That's the truth, you know. And they were the one. And then for some reason, after the end, the man gave an altar call for salvation. And in, so another thing that I couldn't explain in my life at the moment was the fact that I just found out that without any message that I heard, I was convicted. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit, really. I just found myself crying and crying, crying. And this is what is funny. I was crying, not because I sincerely felt sober. That's the truth. You know, because if I felt sober, I shouldn't be questioning why I was crying. Because I was crying and then I was asking myself, you know, let me stop this nonsense. Don't embarrass us here. I was, so it wasn't like I felt like, oh, you know. But, but something, definitely the power of God had taken hold on a part of me that was unexplainable. And um, but still, there was still a part of me that was still alive, you know, that was fighting, was that was struggling not to go out that night. I mean, the man of God kept saying, Come forward. I still remember it was Pastor Inka, I know, you know, we used to call him Pastor Y, that was preaching that night. So, come out, he kept saying, Come out, come out, come out, you know. I was the only one that gave my life to Christ that night. I remember uh, for some reason that thing just picked me up from my seat, you know, and started dragging me down towards the altar. I was struggling and struggling, but I just couldn't sit down again. Now, now that I'm a believer, I understood what happened. That many believers sincerely have been praying for me. Many believers, many believers have been praying for me. I remember after I gave my life to Christ, somebody traveled down from Kaduna to come and see me, and he said, since SS2, they have been praying for me that God will save me, and that they never stop, you know, because of how my life was i know so and i know my mom was really really an intercessor many people were praying for me so that night the prayers of the saints had gotten to a crescendo that uh, it doesn't matter what i wanted to do again they had by intercession created a pathway for god to operate in my life that was it the force of the spirit picked me up and then i gave my life to christ that was the journey so that's where i am <laughs> what a beautiful story you know what i'm so excited it looks as though you know god just amplified
not like we have personal relationship. I remember it was before that I reached out to Pastor Yoko, and I told him, I need to reach out to Pastor I don't know what. It is just so strong in me that I need him to come on, on this platform to share with us on conversation so young people can know that where they are, it's not as if nobody has passed that road. They are not like doomed because they are on the path. There's yeah. a possibility and there's a very high degree of possibility that if somebody has passed that road before and is yeah. ready to unfold them away yes, from that part of destruction into the path they ought to, to walk yes, into. And I'm yes, so ma'am. excited about it. Thank you, ma'am. I, I, I want to ask, after that experience for you, as a yes. young, what are those defining moments in your life that brought you to this Thank you, man, for, for that question. Well, uh, after I gave my life to Christ that day, I went, I made a mistake. I didn't find out um, what the meaning of that church was. I just became a Christian and I gave my life to Christ. I went, they, they took my contact sincerely, but I didn't even give my real room number. Because I, you know how it is that a young believer is still not too far from a non-believer in behavior sometimes. Um, that is still, so I just didn't want to tell the truth about where I was living. So I gave them the room number of one of my friends in Awo. I'm sorry, in um, this hostel, part one hostel in Ife, Angola. Angola, okay. yes. Yeah, in Angola, but I was, I lived in Awo and all that because I go there a lot, truly, but I was in my room. But I knew it was my friend, it was Angola, you know, that I gave them. And, um, well, cut long story short, it was next Sunday throughout the week. What just came coming to my mind that I said, oh, okay, so now you have become that thing, that bonnet thing that everybody's doing, you know, because I, I just didn't understand what the whole thing was about, you know. I was just like, okay, so you have become bonnet now. I had that bonnet again thing that everybody, you know, that your folks have always been talking about. So, what do you do? What's the, what's the next phase of your life? What are you supposed to do with this thing? Okay, now that you've come out, you said, you know, now sincere truth. After that, I was still smoking. After I gave, came, came out that night, I was still smoking. I was still still had some of the habits that I had. You know, which are some of the things I was to talk about. If 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 we get the um, because new life doesn't totally change your behavior until you are transformed. You know, by the renewal of your mind. Um, so one week I, I wasn't transformed. Now for some people, in all honesty, a miracle happens immediately. They give their life to Christ and everything stops. If if that is not happening in your, your own life, oh come on, you you, you are not out of balance. So well, so I was still smoking. I was still whatever. But sincerely, I knew something had changed, and I will tell you why. Because I used to smoke a lot, you know. I used to take drugs a lot. But this time around, after that night, I started feeling bad when I did those things. Before I didn't used to feel bad. So for the first time, I would do those things, and I would feel condemned. I would feel bad. I would feel like I was hurting somebody. I would feel like I was doing, you know. So I knew something that there was a change on my inside that my outside had not caught up with. My outside had not caught up, but something already was already happening within. So on Sunday, following that, whatever, so I thought, okay, this is Sunday morning. Those who are Christians, I know that they always go to church on Sunday because I wasn't, I mean, I've been fired a lot from Christianity things. So like they go to church on Sunday morning. Well, cut long story short, I picked my Bible. I didn't know anybody that I could ask. So I just started walking around OEU, just walking around and walking around and walking around until I got to a Greek. I just I just say, yeah, I'm sorry if I'm, for those of you who are not from OEU, but I, I, I'm just trying to recount my journey. And I needed to remember how, how those things happened. So the, I just said it's like I'm trust theater in Obafi Naolo University that a fellowship in Ife then called Castle, you know, um, used to use. I walked there and I, I remember I stepped in. Then there was a man uh, by the name uh, Pastor Edgar, and he was the one 
preaching that day, another solid man of God, another. But for de- for me then, I was a young believer, I was a young Christian, so I couldn't connect this message as at that time. And not because he was doing anything wrong, but because, you see, I've been far too gone into cultism, clubbing, and all that. And he was speaking to serious-minded Christians. I mean, he was using, yes, he was using a lot of scriptures, he was using a lot of deep things that I just, it was speaking above my head as a young believer. Because I couldn't connect, I picked my Bible and I left, sincerely, you know. Where, for some reason, I've always been like that. I really don't like being in an environment. I don't like to pretend. Could have stayed there throughout that service, but I just felt, I was, I'm not, I don't think I'm receiving anything here. Why do I want to stay to the end of this meeting? And everything like that. Like I said, now that I'm older, I'm sure I'll have enjoyed that message then, but because I was a young convert, a young convert can relate to too many depths at, at once. You know, I know that I was coming from darkness. The intensity of light they were shining in my eyes was too big, was too much <laughs> at, that, <laughs> at that level. So they needed to give me my light in small bits, you know, from my poor pill to adjust to that level of light. So I stood up and I walked out of church. So I started playing with flowers. I still remember what I was doing. I took a stick and I was beating all the disco flower around that area. And then a guy who used to know me from uh, Loud Tech, his name is BC Alao. The guy saw me on the road holding a Bible and he knew the kind of person I was. So he said, hey, you're holding a Bible. I said, yeah. He said, what happened to you? I said, well, um, last week, Sunday night, I went out, I gave my life to Christ. That thing that they say, that born again thing. So he was laughing. We're like, okay, definitely you still don't know how this thing works. So we're like doing, I said, well, I came to one church around there. I don't understand what the guy is saying. I know that. So he was laughing. He was like, I understand that. So we're like, would you like to follow me somewhere? I was like, where? He said, I'm going to a church. I said, okay, well, maybe I'll follow you since you eat. That boy too was a club boy. I was a cultist, but he was a club boy. So our lives were similar, except that um, clubbing was more of uh, partying rather than violence. You know, why cultism was more about violence. Uh, he took me to a place in Obafe Maolo University's conference center. So when I got to conference center, they were having a problem. It was a church that but I didn't know at the time there was a church because I saw the way people were dressed. The ladies were wearing sanchos, they were wearing bikers, they were wearing hats. You know, everybody was like, it felt like they were, I mean, I was like, okay. And he said, this is the church. I was like, hey, church really good. You know, all right. We, we walked into the church. I noticed that even the guys, they were all wearing hats, like cowboys hearts they were wearing you know i mean the way they were dressed i could relate coming from where i was coming from and all that so i, was like, I asked him i said is it a church he said yeah it's a church i was like okay i think i like this place and then they started singing and all that maybe kind of environment that deep christians wouldn't you see that's one thing i've learned that is a church for everyone really and that's why we shouldn't be criti- uh, cr- critical about what god is doing in any assembly you know and everything i'm more mature in some things now and i have learned that there's a church for everyone it doesn't matter what you think about a church that church exists because of some people that you don't understand and the only wise God has made it so I mean deep Christians will have hated the church that I actually found home in in my new life and just the same way I couldn't connect with a with a sound church in just a few minutes ago and I walked into this church and I saw the atmosphere such excellence such everything I was like yeah and then the pastor came up I think I've been almost 21 years now I can preach the message that man preached it was so simple he, picked, he used just two verses of the Bible and went from story to story to story to story I could understand every word he said and I told myself I said this is my church from now on you know so I went to meet him I told him about my struggles you know my struggles and everything like that. and he said don't worry now I think the key element that really really helped me to where I am now is the trust that pastor reposed in me as a young struggling believer because I told him about my struggle with pornography my struggle with sex with um, drugs and everything like that expecting the way an average Christian react yes. 
condemn and condemn and judge. I was shocked at how he was laughing at everyone I was saying. So I was like, is this guy even a Christian at all? Doesn't he understand the things I just told him I'm struggling with? And I just laughed. He just called the same guy that brought me. He said, "BC." He said, "Muiwa." You know, he said, "Muiwa is the young convert. You know, he has some struggles." He's, and he told the guy, "Say, you know, those things won't last, right?" He said, "Don't bother about." what he's struggling with, what he's smoking and what he's not smoking. He said, let's just bother about him working with God. Those things will stop eventually. I know that. Mm-hmm. And he just he, he, he just said, do me a favor. Be sick. Go and take me what to pray every morning and then take me what to study the book of Romans every morning. He said, that's all. So, like, he won't give me 34 principles and 48 rules, you know, and, you know, on how to stop this thing. He said, no, nothing, really. Just, just do what he tells you to do. And that's how my journey... Now, to cut long story short, do you know this pastor was very, 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 very one kind? Very one kind in the sense that he knew my struggles, yet he's trusted me to be an usher in church. Now, that for me was something I would never recover from. And, and this man knows that I'm struggling with um, with Indian hemp and so There were mornings and on Sundays I would come to church I haven't smoked Indian hemp and he would tell me to go and usher. And he would smell my mouth and know that. And I'm like, what is he doing? Why? Why is he doing all this? And then he would tell me, me well, don't worry, okay? He said, um, your own struggle is just more profound. He said, if you were to x-ray the life of everybody here, they probably have something that they are struggling with that is more socially acceptable than your own. Yours is just not socially acceptable. I know that. He said, don't worry. He said, you're going to get better. I just want you to just know about it. So he, he was really there for me. And not because never condemned. He was always just there, you know, teaching me. You know what? I re- just realized. I wish I could tell you this was the day I stopped those things. I can't. Just like you said. But I just realized three, four, five, or six months after, everything began to drop away from me. It just began to drop. No, no principle, no rule. Just like you said. Just walk with God. And, you know, and now that I'm more matured, I can understand what he was trying to do. The Bible says, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So what he was trying to make me do is to make sure that my walking in the spirit was consistent and that eventually the lust of the flesh, and that is exactly what happened. I can't put a date to when those things stopped, but I just know that, see, I just woke up and I did not feel like smoking. I woke up, I didn't feel like uh, masturbating. I didn't feel like having sex. I didn't feel like, and all those things began to drop off me. And sincerely, it's been 20 years now that, you know, most of those things have, have left my life and all that because somebody, you know, trusted me. Those were... Those are things, uh, yeah. So, I think if I was to point out on two things, I will point out number one, the trust of a pastor and the companionship of a good Christian. That is BCLO. I think those are two things that I can point out that helped me because it would be unfair not to mention in my journey the role that those two things played in my life. The trust of a pastor who did not condemn me and who understood that I was struggling and I was going to get better and, and who trusted me even with responsibilities when he knew where I was. Yeah. When he knew my struggles, and then the companionship of a strong Christian, not a weak Christian, because if this was a weak Christian, I could have actually dragged him down into my life. Yeah. Yes, but because he was a stronger believer, his companionship was there to hold my hand. Because my pastor was busy, he couldn't be there with me every day, but he put the companion with me, and I think those two things were really helpful to my journey. Okay, awesome. Now, now you know what I'm gaining from what you're sharing about this moment is you, you got to that point in your life where the whole world are judged and condemned but you got into a space where you were not judged you yes. weren't condemned but yes. you were given love you yes, were absolutely. given trust yes you know they had thinking even when you were doubting yourself when yes. you couldn't see what they were seeing yes and they gave you that kind of trust yes. and that kind of faith how that accumulated into the experience that you're having today how you mentor how you counsel how you 
Thank you, man. That's a beautiful question. You know, in many times, I always say that I feel like the reason Christians are very judgmental and sententious is because of what they received themselves. Mm. It is difficult for you. Yeah, I don't think Christians intentionally want to be is that when they became a Christian, what they received was judgment and, and sentences. And because of that, what a vessel receives, what a vessel can pour out. I know that. For me, I didn't receive that. So it's difficult for me to pour it out now that I'm a pastor. What I received was trust and love. So I don't sincerely, man, I don't even know how else to leave because I never got judgment. So I don't even know how to give it. You know? So it's not, I'm not even trying. I'm not trying to believe in people. I just believe it's almost, it's almost automatic for me because of the kind of people. And I think this is instrumental for us as pastors, as leaders, as even people that mentor people to realize that whatever you give to a, a, a child, both spiritual child and physical child, that is what they will know to give to other people. I was a spiritual child that received love. I was a spiritual, if you notice, children that come from violent homes, they end up becoming violent because that's what they receive that's even biologically and all that so and the same way children that come from sententious and judgmental churches and when i mean children i'm talking about young converts born again they end up also becoming judgmental and sententious you know and for me so i'm grateful to god now when, when people come to tell me now and they say pastor me well, i'm struggling with this i did i've just always laughed the same way my pastor was laughing you know yeah. and, and you know something happened i found that man that even when i was in east then and later on i started pastoring because eventually the same people that God used to help me stop, I eventually became a pastor in, in place. I found out that I was having counseling meetings from different churches in effect. People who were attending other churches, who were struggling with habits, they would call me. I don't know how to get my phone number. Then they would say, Pastor Miwa, I need to talk to you. Somebody said, you are the only person I can talk to. And then they would come to meet me and they would say, I'm an usher here. I'm a choir. And I said, oh, go talk to your pastor. And I said, I can't talk to him. You know, and for me, that was major. But, but someone said, I can talk to you. And all that. And because when they talked to me, I, it was easy for me to listen and yet there were talk, some of them that when they talk to me throughout I will listen for maybe one hour when they finish I will just say let's pray and then they, they expect and I just say let's pray I said don't worry um, you'll get over it you know we will we, 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 we put um, and a number of them truly did get over it at least I, can, I know where some of them are right now so it has become how I, it become my own signature to ministry because of what some people did to me and all that so when people tell me now if, if sometimes some of my uh, people are pastor now and everything like that they do things and then I hear of them and all that why while it's necessary to train and form some level of disciplinary measures, which is good because the Bible commands that. But you see, it is done in love because really the essence is not to kill. The Bible spoke about Jesus. He said he would not put out a struggling fire. You know, I would not smolder. Yeah, so that means when, so, when a fire is trying to grow, if you kill it, it may never become a flame. Usually, it has sincerely, man, it has become a major part of my life because of what I receive. Sometimes, just about some weeks ago, one of my leaders came to meet me and told me about somebody in the unit that did this and this and that. And I said, leave them alone. I said, you cannot pray for the rain and not deal with the mud. If you pray for the rain, then you must deal with the mud. If you want to pastor young people, you must know that with young people come certain struggles. So yeah. if you pray for the rain, then you must you must deal with the mud. If you are pastoring part one, part two, there are things that come with that age. Age of um, adventure, sexual adventure, drug adventure, and what a pastor must do must learn how to help them rather than how to condemn them. So I said, don't worry, though. Because I've seen many of them come out of those lifestyles. I've seen many of them become something. And so, yes, what I receive as a young believer, I don't even know how not to give that same thing, which is mercy, love, and, and faith in people. Yeah, that's so beautiful and very instructive because one of the things, what we're speaking, one of the things that kept coming to my heart is why it's so important that we have the right people mentor the next generation. If we're yes. complaining about the present generation we're living in, saying 
don't care, that don't love, that don't have faith in anything, then we should ask, who gave birth to this generation? Yes, what yes, yes. That gave birth to this generation? How did they birth them? Because yes, it's critical in the birthing process is whatever you give out to them that they will be produced. Yes. So, and that's why it looks as if, you know, God is intentional about the next generation and he's saying, you know what, I don't want this thing to continue. So I want to truncate this process. I want to make sure that there's a deliberateness in investing. And I believe that's one of the things that you're doing in, in, in Citizen of Light Church because I Thank know you. some people that actually there, for anybody, I say, you know him, and somebody that is so concerned about the younger generation and yes. doing, you know, there's a difference between doing something as an occasion and actually being deliberate and yes, intentional ma'am. and yes, you're ma'am. actually pouring of yourself and you can't give what you don't have. No, you can't give, you can't take it. So yes. you have to give of your fullness, yes, of what ma'am. is inside of you. I believe that's what we're having this conversation. And for every young person in this is so important. Um, I told several young people around me, it's not enough to say that the society that we live in, so many bad things are happening. You can change the narrative. There's yes. always that alternative choice. You you are not you are not boxed in the circle of okay, this is what is trending. You can actually yes. come out and stand alone or stand yes. apart from the yes. crowd. So I'm sure my new story is really giving us insight and wisdom into how to lift them out. Yes. So people can be judgmental, they can condemn and do all that. But it's important we keep faith, trust, and love. So, so, yes. so, so, so instructive. Thank yes, you, ma'am. sir. I think you lead me to the next question. Um, I've, I've engaged with some young people and they will tell you, ah, how I wish I was from Dangote's family. I wish I was born by Otedola or Adenuga or Bombjigs. Oh, I was just born separate from this family. My problem is this family. If I was born in a separate family, I don't think my life would be going the way it's going. Now, I want to ask, should young people blame their family for the outcomes in their life? And did your own kind of family affect in any way your life? Did it contribute to your person? Did it negatively or positively? I want, us to, I want you to talk to us about Thank you, ma'am. I, I feel like well, um, the truth is at certain age, you might feel like that at certain age. But I think at, at another age, we shouldn't feel like that. What I mean is that at certain age, when someone is young, it's an age where responsibilities are shifted. And then at certain age, when we are old, is a, a stage when responsibility should be accepted. So if we shift the responsibility at a young age, it should be accepted at an older age. When I was young, I remember I mentioned the fact that I was shipped off you know, to live with my, with my grandmother, who was a Muslim and all that. And maybe I can say, because I looked at some of my other siblings that stayed with me, my parents who lived in that Christian confines of my dad and my mom, who even though they were Baptists, they were not Pentecostals, I found out that they turned out a bit differently from, from, from me. Yeah, I, I found out that they, they turned out a bit different from, from how I turned out. My younger brother is, for him, was a, is a totally different, his own life was totally different from mine. He was that boy that loved God, served God, you know, served several ministers of God, you know, later on, he's pastoring somewhere in, in, in South Africa now, you know, and everything like that. 
the same father, the same mother, but the differences in the environment affected us, affected us. Now, because for me, I was shipped up out of that protective Christian environment where values were inculcated and they're not just inculcated, instilled and discipline was instilled you know, to an Islamic environment whereby my grandmother was really never at home because she was the contractor and she was quite busy. She had money, but sometimes money comes business because it takes some, it takes some level. Huh? So she goes to a lot of places and then when she couldn't handle me, being at home alone was why she took me to a boarding primary school that if if I stay alone all day maybe she should take me to a place where some other people can be responsible for me and I think that played a major role in me losing it totally because at that instance it is now seniors that became my inspiration at that instance it became my, my mates who were together I'm in school I mean for 10 months in a year I'm with my colleagues I mean we, I'm with primary 2 students with my primary 4 students they were the inspiration we were not watching TV or anything so if I see somebody do something bad they were the one that inspired me out to do things and all that. Unlike if I was with my parents that I go and all that. So I said this that truly at certain age it might be true but at certain age it is no longer true in the sense that when you get to certain age and you are still looking back and saying it was because this it was because of that and all that you know that this happened you know and why did I say at certain age it might be true because I feel like while we are speaking to younger people I feel like we should also know that young people will become older someday and to know that yeah. paying attention to family also matters. So that's the balance of what I'm trying to also bring that we shouldn't neglect home. We shouldn't neglect home because it can affect greatly um, the influences. So I, I won't say it's my parents that caused it on my brother, but it's because I, I was exposed to some influences outside of my parents. If the only influence I was exposed to my parents, I probably would have turned out like my other young, my siblings. All my other siblings sincerely turned out very well. You know, they serve God, they love God, and all through unbroken followership of Jesus till now. And I was the only one who was being shipped out of that environment couldn't continue. That, that had that broken whatever. So I feel like we shouldn't neglect folks, um, younger ones. But you see, at certain age, it, it then becomes irresponsibility to keep saying it was because of this, it was because of that, because it, we have come to the age of responsibility to take hold of our lives and make something. Because look at it now, when I became a Christian, I, if, if I was still there blaming my parents, I probably might not take my own life in my hands and really shape it like the way it is. I remember my dad one day before he passed on he looked at me he said it's amazing what you have done with your life and, you know he said it's amazing it's amazing so even he recognized that the person I later became wasn't him he, he knew he wasn't, he wasn't the one that made that made me that he knew he wasn't the one that contributed that part you know to my life so he said it's amazing what you have been able to do with your life so I'm so happy and impressed I know that but if I was still there saying hey, because my dad didn't do it because my mom sent me this and that's why I probably would not have self-developed and brought myself to a place whereby I could. So like I said, maybe when people are younger, they, 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 they tend to think like that, but it's not absolutely true. If you keep thinking at like that certain age, it has become irresponsibility. Thank you so much, sir. That, that, that's so true. We must learn to accept responsibility. The family you have born will be respected. You get to a certain age of self-responsibility and accountability. You owe it to yourself. To yes. pick yourself up and develop yourself into who yes. you want to be in the future. That's so profound. Thank you so very much, sir. I want to ask, what's your view about, you, you've mentioned this before, but I, I want you to deliberate it now to think about it. What, what's your view about making mistakes? How does it define a young person? There are two types of mistakes, really. There are lethal ones, and there are less lethal ones, all right? And we need to talk about the two uh, because they are both important. And the reason I'm saying this is that so while we are young, we are careful where we tread also. There are some mistakes that are easy to bounce back from, but there are some that will take you longer. But there's no mistakes whatsoever that we cannot recover from, all right? So let me first start by saying that there is no mistake big enough 
for you to be judged by God without being loved. God will love you. I mean, God will love you past your errors. God will love you past your mistakes. God will, I mean, like God will tell you, wherever, whoever is listening to me, there is nothing. You know, sometimes, I think sometimes we are so full of ourselves. Well, I think we're at pride. That pride, thinking my mistake is greater than grace, I think is pride. No, I mean, your mistake, grace, your mistake is so small compared to what Christ has done. The Bible says, while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. How much more than now you are now a child of God? So when you were really on the other side, God did everything to get you back. So as a child of God, listen, your mistakes don't define your relationship with God. God will love you. God will stay with you. But you see, there are physical consequences of some mistakes that also be paid attention to. The spiritual consequences is not much and all that, but there are physical consequences. I remember some of the folks that we, we actually were together who stepped into uh, murder cases when we were younger. Now, for then some of them were arrested and sent to jail forever. Now, they can become a Christian and give their life to Christ. So the spiritual consequences is gone, but the physical consequences remain. I don't know, you know, your salvation doesn't get you out of jail. So that's why I said that some mistakes are lethal, some are less lethal. You know, the spiritual concept of these things are, because one of the things I always believe when I go through life is balance. The balance of perspective on every subject matter and all that. That's, I mean, with God, so some mistakes are lethal. Take for instance, um, as a young lady, I want to beseech you, if you're struggling with your sexuality, try to speak, you know, with somebody and seek help. Because if you don't, there are many things you don't understand. If you get pregnant at that stage and all that, and then you give birth to twins, all right? Now, the spiritual consequences is gone. God has forgiven you. But imagine Jesus 2, Jesus 3 or something. You have to deal with those kids, you know, all your life. Because, and every now and then as you're making progress, you have to deal with, with, with the physical consequences of those mistakes, of those errors, you know, and all that. This is the balanced perspective that I feel like every time I talk to younger people, I always say this to them. Lady to come and meet me who was struggling with she's in GSS2 and she's already smoking Indian hemp and her brother brought her to come and see me she's sleeping with almost like four boys and all that and we sat down and the, the brother said everybody I tried speaking to her she would not listen and so I said to him I said bring her I said she will listen to me they were like pastor I said don't worry let her, let her sit in front of me first and then they, she came and then they dropped her and I said everybody excuse me and, her. and we were talking and we we're gisting and all that we we're talking and I, I took her through life my own story and everything like that and where I am and I began to talk to her about physical consequences of things and spiritual consequences and that the spiritual consequences when you give your life to Christ are done away with I said but the physical consequences are dangerous so I spoke to her about sexually transmitted diseases and all that that look you're speaking with almost four boys your brother has caught you I said why you be forgiving forever I said you know what but you must start dealing with things that are, that are not necessary at the tender age HIV and other things is you're smoking and those things might affect your lungs and all that I said those are physical consequences of your error that I need to let you know more than just the spiritual consequences. I know that the spiritual consequences I've done away with. Well, and I spoke love, I spoke love, I gave her money and everything like that. Three weeks after, the brother came to meet me and she said, that day, what did you do to my sister? I said, well, he said, she's born again. She's a different girl. She said, whatever. And I said, well, people need love. People need whatever. But there is no one so young also to... I said, someone, you treat her, because she's your sister, younger sister, you treat her like she's a dummy. I said, she can understand when you speak reason. I said, so what I did was that I showed her love, I showed her love, and I also showed her reason. I showed her the trajectory of the path she was on. That this trajectory, when everyone, when you're in the path, there is a location it will lead you. So I told her, see, this path you are on, this is the location it will land you. I said, but you can change the path now, early now, and then land in a totally different whatever. So I said, so that's why I said, there are mistakes that are lethal, and there are those that are less lethal. I know that. So some errors don't go far. I know that, you know, I mean, you can, by salvation, it's easy for you and all that. But if, it, I mean, but if you continue on some things, and that's why I say this to say, if there's anybody struggling with anything, it's good.
good you seek help early and know that you know don't especially if it's sexuality because i mean that are whatever because those things can put some things in your body that you might have to even after salvation you might still be dealing with you know and start believing god for healing of your body because of some of those things those lifestyle or maybe somebody got himself into something i don't know if i'm able to communicate what i'm trying to say that because yeah. there is a ba- there is the balance you know of every conversation yeah. you know and i think the balance of this conversation is the fact that god will love you till eternity and everything like that but there is the physical side of our mistakes like i said some of the folks that i know who are in jail now some of almost 15 20 years i know that born again now in jail but because they of certain things they did the law has not released them another way in faith for them for them to be released we must understand those two conversations there is the spiritual side but there is also the physical side and of some of those things thank you very much sir. so if you've made a mistake in life you're not condemned by by
period. And, and I realized that these younger people, oh my, they, they believe in themselves so much. Yeah. They, they believe in what they know. And technology has not made it easier. They yes. feel if there's anything you need to know, just Google it. You'll find the answers. And while they are Googling at things, they are, they are entering into territories, uncharted territories. That yes. they themselves cannot draw back from. They've gone so, they've gone so, gone into realms and I think they're not supposed to go into. Mm. So I want us, I want you to speak about this prevalent moral decay and mm. the place of good morals. How do as a young person can you, in midst of all that is going on in the heart, can actually stay true and say, you know what, I want to be a principled and a person. I want to uphold these values. Thank you, ma. Thank you for this vital question. It almost looks like every generation is dropping the ball lower and lower and lower and lower. Yeah, like yeah. you rightly said, than you know, in our own time. But one of the things that happened is the fact that I think as a young person, you first need to repose some level of honor and trust in yourself. And uh, if you don't repose that level of honor and trust in yourself, whatever anybody does in your class or in your, in your generation will seem trendy, will seem good. But when you repose some level of honor and trust in yourself, well, what I mean by that is I see trust talking about believing in yourself that, look, I'm of a different breed. I'm of a different species. Our journey in life differs. So our route, our road will be different. Our ways will be different. Yes, sir. I know that. So where do I hope to learn? And as a young person, I don't think we are too young to ask this kind of question, especially if you're except you're in primary school. And even if you're in primary school, it, we can start wiring that to their mind. That's it. The question is that the, every influence, every behavior, every act, leads to a certain end. You must know that. There is, is nothing, and that's why I spoke about the physical consequences of things, that in, in every road, there is no road that goes and goes and never leads to a place. Every road and actions, behaviors, belief system, and those things, they are all roads that lead to a certain place. Uh-huh. And so you need to ask yourself a question. These things that these boys are doing, these things that these girls are doing, where does it lead to? Uh-huh. And if it leads to so and so and so place, is this where I also want to end? Is this where, and if you can't, you already can see the end, it helps to change the road. That I don't think this is where I want to end my life. I know that I think that this is a, the first question every young person you know, should ask. If these people are doing this, this is a road. Every action is a road. Every behavior is a way that leads to a certain destination. And before I get on that road, let me ask where it leads. If I find out where it leads, then I can tell whether I want to go there. If it leads to the place of death, if it leads to the place of untimely death, pregnancy, cocaine and drug addiction to evil another I must know that it, no matter how subtle how beautiful it looks now I shouldn't be on that road lane because the, the road is already predetermined so I must have enough faith in myself to choose my own lane I must have enough trust in myself to choose my own lane and no feeling where I say I might, it might not be a popular opinion but I think my lane most likely will be better than where these people are taking and that is why I say I believe that sometimes some, some youth know what is right but they don't have enough faith and believe in, in themselves to follow that way that's why I said believe in yourself and faith is necessary that you Sometimes they know what is right, but you see, you just don't have enough confidence, that enough faith, enough belief to stay on your own path and on your own lane. 
You see, as I grew up, even as remember when I gave my life to Christ, most of my friends were still cultists, were still whatever and all that. So there was this idea of, ah, oh boy, come now, listen, they worry you, Let, let's go. But as at that time, I'd think clearly. So I come and let's go and do this, let's go and do that. I said, no, I'm no longer doing that. Because now the prayer pressure was there. In fact, I remember some of them were telling me then that, see, you were just on sabbatical. We'll soon return to our kingdom. That, you know, that your sabbatical will soon be over. I know that. That is okay. We're not going to fight you. We'll leave you to go on holiday. I know that. You see, the holiday now is almost 20 years plus now. And that sabbatical, will ne- it will never end. It's an internal sabbatical with the Lord Jesus. But see, they never believed because they felt like with such pressure on me, they will come and visit me. They will bring girls. They will bring all those things and all that. But you see, I finally found faith and believed in myself to take my own path. I'm, I'm happy I did. So I think that see, as a young person, that there is an inner voice something very subtle telling you not to follow those paths, telling you not to go with those people and it must be, you must be strong enough to have faith in yourself and believe in that path because no matter how much good road we show a young person if the person does not have enough faith to follow that path they will, they will still go with the flow and that's what I want you to and, we, and I do this to my first daughter a lot I always tell her you know sometimes she goes like oh they're not playing with me and I'll call her and tell her see don't worry they don't have to play with you and all that I say you must realize that this life can be lonely and you have to play with yourself and sometimes playing with yourself is the best thing you can do sometimes in the sense that because some of the people around you might not carry the same value as, as, as you are so you might need to actually play with yourself in the sense that I, and, so, and I say this to her she's eight you know and all that and pumping that into, into her mind and all that so I feel strongly that you, some of them know what is right but you must have enough faith enough believing yourself to follow that path and, and I think second thing that I feel is also crucial is the fact that before you follow somebody I think it's better you follow people who through their own journey arrive at beautiful places in life. That's what I mean. Your mate that you're trying to follow, that person you know, is probably as ignorant as anything. But if you look ahead of you and see people who actually have actually walked some path and you can see the peace in their journey, you can see the serenity upon their path. You can see the prosperity upon their life. I think you should ask yourself and say that, see, well, uh, when the Bible says, be followers of them who through faith and patience obtains the promise. So there is a set of people to follow. You should follow people who have obtained the promise of good life, not the promise, you know, called the sad deadness. People who got stranded in life themselves. So ask yourself, before I follow what these boys and these girls are doing, where is he leading them? And this other person who is older, because the beauty of following an older person is that your own future is their past. Where you're trying to get to is where they have left you are you are trying to be there they have left the place so i think wisdom is to follow somebody who your own future is their past and so it is easy for them to actually tell you about ditches about pitfalls about the places not to put your feet in to get so stepping away from moral decadence is easier when you follow people who actually by walking through life have arrived at a reasonable and sensible place rather than somebody who at your age equal age are deciding to do something and they, they don't actually have a, a sensible um, outcome of their life themselves. Even they are experimenting with their life. Why would you want to actually you know, exactly go through the experience, use your own life to do the experiment. Oh. Remembering what I said earlier on, every road leads to a consequence. Every path leads to a consequence. Whether you like it or not. By the love of God, for as long as you stay with Christ, God will love you and all that. But some of those consequences you know, are major. So if you use your life for experiment, you, you might have to deal with a few things in that place. Yes, I think those are two things. Thank you very much, Sam. Now, at this point, I want you to just share with us some of the values that you uphold as a person. Because um, one of the things that we were trusting that will, that will happen with this conversation is as many young people that were listening back to this, 
they can, through this conversation, just have a little glimpse into your life and say, okay, this man, I've heard about him, I've, I've read about him, I'm listening to him. There are certain things he's doing or he keeps doing that keeps him on the path, this shining path, this glorious path of his life. I want to start doing. What would be those things that you tell um, a young person? If, if I were to cone down on two things, I think the first thing is that the, the importance of a vision and the necessity of companionship. I think those are two things that I, I would say. It's, vision is so powerful to make younger people understand is the scope of where you see yourself in life eventually. Uh, so I'm trying to say it in the, in the most easier way for them to understand. The, the scope of where you think you will be you know, in the next four, five years, six years, ten years, and you are old, where you will eventually be, all right? I think that is so important because of that singular thing. It has affected my life a lot. There are things I don't eat. There are places I don't go. There are people I don't say hello to because of where I have seen or that I'm going, all right? And one of the things that vision does for a man is that vision is like a seed. In, when, when you make a sieve, it's like when you pour some things and then you sieve out some things and then you retain some things. Visions are like some sieve. Like it's a sieve. If a young person, um, I love what the scripture says. The Bible says where there is no vision, the people will cast off restraint. It said they, they'll cast off restraint. That means there will be no discipline in their life. So a man of vision is a man of restraint. He's a man that, that understands boundaries. He's a man that understands that there are certain things that shouldn't partake oh. in of. Yes. Is because restraint means to be disciplined. The first thing is, is for me is vision. This are this is one of my number one goals in life. I don't waste much time with relationships that I don't see as my tomorrow in it, or I feel like I have anything you know to offer the person in the person's tomorrow. I think it's a waste of his time and it's a waste of my time. We are not too young to imagine where we want to be, and I'm not just talking about ambitions and things like that, but rather where you want to be. If a man has vision, you will not compel the person to do some of the things that he should do. The vision is powerful enough to drive you. The vision is powerful enough to take away some kind of company from you. I've not seen myself giving birth to a child in GSS class. Therefore, these are not the kind of girls to work with. I have not seen myself dying young from lungs issues. So the smokers are not the kind of people to work with. I have not seen, because like I said, vision is a seize. It will take away some kind of people from your life. Like I said, it's like agile. It, it removes some people. I think vision is my number one passion. In life. I'm very particular about what I see and the people around me in the light of what is ahead of me. So if we don't deal with vision, then I always say this to folks, no matter the weapon of greatness you give a man, if that person has no vision, all those weapons will be wasted, no matter the level yeah. of arsenal. And yet, if the person has a vision, even if you don't give him the arsenal, he'll go and find it himself. I think the first thing before you can give anybody any anything to work in life, first give them a vision. If you give them a vision, that is all. You go away. Every other thing they need to achieve it, they'll find it. But if they have no vision of greatness and you give them every the best messages on discipline, best messages on time management, best messages on this, because they have no vision for it, there is no way they will use all those things. So I think for the young person, one of the first things I want you to know that it's necessary for you have a, a vision of a beautiful tomorrow for yourself. All right? That will sieve out some kind of pain from your life. I think secondly is the power of companionship. Companionship, many times we think that companionship means working with my mate alone. No. Companionship, I'm talking about companionship, both mentorship and because companionship are people who you are working with. Both mentorship and then your friends. You see, whatever God has ordained for you to become in life and whatever journey God has ordained for you, you will need people. People on that journey with you. God said, iron sharpened iron. So does the countenance of a man, that of his friend. So you will need people whose countenance 
can sharpen yours. I have some friends in life and in ministry. They are not many, just a handful. I can count all of them on one hand. I know that. And the, what keeps us is the fact that, see, we are, there is a place where we are all going. And that place we are going has helped me so we can actually have conversations and all that. If you play down on the power of companionship, you will take the wrong person into your boat and you think it doesn't matter. And that person will sink your entire boat. So companionship is so very important that you don't bring a wrong person on your boat. There are always people that when they come onto your boat, they can sink. Your journey is sweet until they come on board. Your vision is safe until they come on board. They are actually, I call them, they are wrecking balls of destiny. They are wrecking balls of life. And so when you bring them on board, I mean, they can wreck everything around you. No matter the vision you have, one person can come on board and then if you bring them too close, begin to talk you to a place whereby you forget where you started from and you begin to move to another place. So I want to beseech you, know that, see, where am I going, number one, and number two, who am I going there with? So those are things, where am I going and who am I going there with? Those are two important things that have held dearly to my heart and everything like that. Under vision is God is focused for me, you know, but I'm trying not to go into some of those details so that I'm not too sounding in a certain way that I can connect with them. That's why I'm just using, but of course, God is central to your vision. God is central to your life, all right? Where am I going and who am I going with? I can say this. If you settle those two things in life, sincerely under heaven, you have 80% of your life you go down. If you can settle those two things in your life, you have 80%. Where am I going? Where am I going is enough to make you read all the books in all the libraries. It's enough because because the the, the hunger for where you are going will drive you to do things that are not convenient. When a man is consumed by vision, I've often said it, I don't come from a very rich family. I don't come from a very advantageous biological family. But because of where I know I'm going, it has driven me to read. It has driven me to learn new languages. It has driven me. Not when life did not give me those things, I went looking for those things myself. You know why? Because when there is vision in a man's heart, and then you choose the right companions for that journey, you have 80% of your life you got out. The rest, 20%, will be just additions on how to manage greatness, manage success, money, whatever. But those two things will help you a great deal. Yeah. Wow. This is so good. You know, those two things you mentioned, they're like headlines. Then there's a major part of it. In fact, if you just take what you've just heard, will so bless your life in the sense that have a vision. You mentioned some, some things and I totally agree. It said when you have a compelling vision, that vision will drive you. Yes. So even when you don't have the tools to make it happen, to yes. look for it. Yes, ma'am. That you will. is so true. Not as a young person thinks you have all the time in your head. Your the when you have a vision of where you're going to, you would move. You are always a man or a woman on a mission. You are moving. You are not sitting idling that somebody is not telling you something that has opposite your house. You are, yes, you are engaged. Yes, so you have something doing. That, that vision has preoccupied you. And like you said, but that one is another level of life. That your vision is like a seed. It takes away irrelevances from your life. Yes, ma'am. You are not found doing what is not in line with your vision. You are not found in the company of people that are not on your own. Nothing happens because your vision is like a vehicle heading towards a destination. You don't have yes. just anybody on board. It will be people that are going to arrive at the same destination. So, so good. Every young person listening, this is so important. You have shared with us some of the values and principles that is driving him as a person. And I can say boldly that I've seen some of these things in his life as a person. You know, some of us will just study and observe from afar. But mm. we know those that are actually walking the path. And we know those that we can we can say to you for this. You know, I was forward bold to say that imitate me as I imitate Christ. Yes. You will follow and you know that at the destination at which 
is the same as the one that God has. So you are able to bring these people your way so that you hear them and you listen to the words of God. I hope we're getting there. Now, I'm going to go to another question, sir, similar to what we've spoken about before, but here deliberately talking about it. Now, there are many young people that they just tell you, what is it that now Bishop will go to your, who will your help? The whole essence and the society has actually amplified the movies that, that it has been played out in the songs that are being written and people listen to, that the end goal is money, that you should, once you have money, you can be in command, that money answers all things, that if you can have money, no matter how you got it, you are in command, you, are, you can fly, you are all right. So what do you say to this rich, quick, and hammer now mindset? Thank, thank you, Ma. I think every generation has its vices. It seemed like our parents' generation, sexuality was the vice. So you see that a lot of men in those generations have more than one wife. So I have a wife at home and then somebody outside. And then it seems like another generation came and drugs was the vice. And I think another generation came and then money is the vice. And um, you must understand as a young person, money is a beautiful servant, but a lousy boss. A very, it's a beautiful servant to serve a purpose, but, but a very lousy boss. When you allow money to become, money is meant for the boys' quarters of your house, not the master's bedroom. Oh. It should be behind a, a boys' quarters serving the purpose of the house, rather than the master's bedroom commanding the entire house mm. all right so let me begin by that because that is a necessary mindset that you must first have where does money belong to if you can't settle where money belongs to pursuit of it will be wrong if the definition of a thing is wrong there's no way the pursuit of it will not be also wrong and that's the first thing i want us to, to define what, what exactly money is truly a tool money is a tool but money is a tool to achieve money is not a tool of aggrandizement if it is i want to ask you as a young person why is it that some of the richest people in the world committed suicide mm. Some of the most wealthy, some of the most accomplished musicians shot themselves to death. Some of the most accomplished actors, I mean, at least two of my best actors of all time, killed themselves. I was so angry with one of them, I wanted to go and beat him in his grave, you know, because this guy was a fantastic actor, wealthy and rich and all that. Look forward to every movie he acted. And the same thing for musicians. I mean, you look at if money was all that it took, why do I have a lot of money and yet decide to kill myself? It is because you don't and if you're still running that same race it's because you don't understand you know why are why are rich people still unhappy you know why is it that a lot of wealth yes people are they're in divorce they are sick they are this so it tells you that if money really is not everything okay so that's the first thing i want to say if you don't define money correctly your pursuit of it will be wrong money is good money is a tool money is an amplifier it amplifies your personality money if you're a bad person and you get money you become more bad if you're a good person you get money become more good money amplifies the personality of the possessor so the first thing i want to say to you is understand that process is more vital and, and not just process what i mean is that the correctness of process is more vital than the attainment of a thing and i will tell you why the correctness because it's not just process i'm talking about the correctness of process because the beauty of correctness of process in pursuit of money is that that process and its correctness teaches you character before its attainment and so if you bypass that process you might get to the attainment but you lack the character there so the, the wisdom of the attainment is the fact that see while you are in that process one of the beautiful things about correct process is that it takes away excesses from your life. I mean, you look at someone like um, as young as Mark Zuckerberg and all that. Very young child. But you look at, even though not, we can't say much about his Christian life, but you are not hearing that he's the one sleeping around, killing people and all that. As young as he is, there was a level that they 
went through to achieve that level of success that as I see him talking to Senate of America and I'm like, is this how old? This guy, this guy does not sound like his age. It sounds deeper than his age. I mean, it's than whatever. Why? Because the process of wealth is to a certain degree has helped him to learn a few things. So one of the things that process does for you is that process helps you to actually self-develop to undo the weight of money. When you see people who haven't gone through process and then you did jazz, you did internet fraud to get those things, the money might be in your hand, but you are not rich because true wealth is in the mind. Oh. True wealth is in the mind. Yeah. Why? That's what the Bible says. I wish above all things that you prosper even as your soul prospered because your soul is your piece of your mind. When you prosper there, true prosperity is that then physical dimension will follow after. So, but when you give someone wealth without their soul prospering, those are the people you say money means rule because there is no equivalent of the wealth where the soul is concerned. So, your mind can't handle it. I know that. And process, correctness of process helps you to be able to handle effectively that thing. When you, you see, money is a weapon, all right? When you give a gun to a child who has not been trained to handle it, it, it can kill the child. When you give a child a knife, it can kill the child. As beautiful as money is, money has destroyed many people because they got it too early. Recently, I stumbled across a documentary, Child Actors, who became, you know, non-entities in adulthood. And I was shocked you know, at some of the people that when we were young, we saw on TV, and then they came into money, Macaulay Collins or something like that, they got that acted home alone. Some of these guys and all that, you know, some of the guys that acted in Bunny when they early 80s, and some of those children actors, and how their life turned out terribly. They encountered money early in life, but there was no prosperity of their soul to handle those things. So early, they, get, they got into drugs, to whatever. I saw some of their pictures. I was sad at what they had become. I was sad. In fact, a number of them had died from drug abuse, drug abuse. But they came into wealth very early, but there was no maturity to handle the wealth. And that is where process matters. Process matures you to handle your, your glory. Process matures you to handle your greatness. Process matures you to handle as it is seen that the beautiful things that life you know, will bring your way. So I think this is a necessary, important, part of this journey. Wealth is good, but you cannot get it, you know, outside of the maturity of the soul. I am not against people becoming wealthy at a young age, all right, if the requisite labor, if the requisite intelligence and the requisite emotional balance, you know, is, uh, is alongside. But without the requisite emotional balance, without the requisite intellectual development, without the requisite character, that money becomes a gun that you turn to your mouth. And, you know, it's, it, you know I always call it, you know, um, you know, um, financial suicide, you know, as it were, you know, prosperity suicide, whereby you're prospering, but that prosperity has become a gun in your mouth and that it's just a trigger pulled and then the same prosperity. That's why the Bible says the prosperity of fools will destroy them. All right. So why would the prosperity of fools destroy them? Because they lack the requisite character to handle it. So I just thought to say, why shouldn't we run to be wealthy at all costs? Because you see, calm down. All right. Money you will have, but let us be more concerned about developing the character, the requisite that is necessary. If money is all you need, then people who have it should not be killing themselves. If money is all you need, then people who have it should not, you know, be unhappy. Money is not all you need. And don't wait to re realize that. The wealthiest man who had everything, I always say Solomon's life was different from Samuel's life. Samuel was born in the temple. It's what you call a church boy. But Solomon was not a church boy. Having sex with 1,000 women, that is a feat that I believe is unbelievable for any human being. And having money and everything like that, the end of all of that is a vanity of 
from vanity all these things emptiness so I don't think you have to learn it yourself somebody who has tasted it is already telling you that this thing is emptiness yes. that the, the best of money is emptiness the best of girls emptiness and the strongest of how I emptiness learn from him because if you try to learn with your own life you might not succeed in that lesson you might enjoy yourself too, too soon but somebody who touched all the girls all the girls across the world touched the money the best of money power at the peak and the zenith of power yes he said let me advise you having tasted everything on your behalf it is all emptiness it's all emptiness and he said after he has said he said let me tell you this is the summary of all things that a man should seek god that's the summary do you like see solomon has actually tasted it yeah oh wow thank you so much sir so much wisdom shared with us. Money is a tool, but don't allow. In fact, you know that example you gave. I, I just kept thinking about allow money to be the, at the boys' quarters of our market. Yes, wow, yes. so instructive. It's a beautiful servant we love people. You don't want money to be telling you the direction the life. Should. Rather, yes. you should be the one telling money the direction it should go. And yes. the prosperity of your mind is the first point of all. And I love yes. that you mentioned process. This rich, quick, armor now came is not right, it's not godly, but it will not do it hand well. Yes. And like you said, if someone takes it all, he said, if you don't try on your behalf, I've tasted all on your behalf. So, like, yes. yes. so as a young person, please be committed to the process. Prosper in your mind. Let your mind develop. Let your mind become that where all the capacity in you is here. So that when they take you anywhere, they strip you today of everything you have and take you to another place, you can reproduce the same life one day. Yes. They can't take what is in your mind with yes. you. They can strip yes. you of everything you have physically, but they should not be able. That's why the prosperity of your soul is so key, so important. It's actually the real deal. Yes, it's actually the real deal. If money fails, and dollar collapse, Naira collapse, everything is gone. You know, can't touch Naira and pop. Will you stop existing? Will you stop living? Mm. You know, we should, we should think about those things. And, and yes. it's important that the prosperity is in your soul. That's so good. That is so good. Thank you very much. We're almost rounding up now. We have two more questions. And we just want to ask you because in Peter's Road Foundation, we are so passionate about the place of learning, the place of education in the life of every man, every person. It looks as if many young people are now far away from learning. They just want to, and the presence of video creation, as beautiful as they are, and some of these other tools, are many more difficult for yeah. our young people to actually commit themselves to learning. We want to ask you, sir, how has education shaped your life? How has, uh, what has that learning done for you? Mm. I think one of the most important things that can happen to a man in his life is education. Both formal and informal. Both formal and informal. Formal education. Let me say this to you. A human life is like a seed that is planted. And when the seed is planted, the quality of the environment that that seed finds itself matters on how well that seed grows. And then some seeds now have even a greater advantage, which is called fertilizer. And so when you put fertilizers, let for say that so there is a seed that is sown in the place whereby the environment is not good. Then there is a seed that is sown in an environment that is good. Then there is a seed that is sown in an environment that is good and then fertilized. Education is the fertilizer of the mind. It causes your mind to blossom in a way that there's nothing in this world that we can use to explain. You see, without this fertilizer, there is, um, there is no way your mind will function at a level that it should function. Because the human brain is, like somebody said many years ago, and I believe this, he said, when every one of us is born, a 
so we are born with what is called a clean slate. Your mind is, is clean. It's called tabula rasa. Tabula rasa in Latin means empty, clean slate. It said, but as you begin to grow through education, things are written on it. Things are written on it. Things are written on it. An uneducated man is like a slate that has just three things, three lines written. An educated man is a man who has like a slate full of things. And one of my professors used to say something in those years. He says, whatever does not exist in your mind, you can never use in your life. He said, only the things that exist in your mind are useful to you in your life. And he did an example to us in class that I never forgot. This is almost 20 years now that he did that example. And let me say, I want to use the same example I would do now. And if I say to every one of us on this platform now, and as a young person, and I say, please, when you get to your room, I want you to do paraminko. You will take paraminko, then you will pour it into gavamiki. When you pour it into gavamiki, then you will now actually use it on the wall to do zenzemiko. Now, you see, all this that I said are useless to you because it doesn't exist in your knowledge bank. If something doesn't exist in your knowledge bank, it will never be useful to you in your life and destiny. What education does is that it supplies you with more tools of life to use. It makes sure that your slate is not empty and it it loads your slate. It's like when you see you see some journals, you just see line one, line two, line three, and you see some journals that are full. You can pick several things from those journals. So you see some people's life are limited because of the limited things written on their tabula rasa. And some people's lives are full. Those people are more equipped. They are more true. I remember um, there was a day I had a conversation with somebody. And sincerely, man, I knew that I wasn't tooled enough. And that was then that I knew that I needed to work on myself. This lady comes from a family of well-educated people. She told me about her grandparents finished from Harvard and Yale. Her parents finished from in Oxford. And then the kind of books they exposed her to. For everything she wanted to say, she had a, a right word for it. For everything she wanted to do, she knew how to do it. She was talking, and my age mate, in fact, I was two years, I'm, I'm two years older than her, and could tell I was struggling to catch up with her development. And I remember I said to myself, this lady is better tooled than you are. You need to tool up much more. And so I asked her what the kind of thing she read, and she told me, and she didn't know why I was asking, because when I met someone that was operating at a higher level of tooling, I knew where I was. There were things that I would say, I would use one word to actually mean three different things. She had the three right words to say those three things even that she wanted to say. Even though they sounded the same, but they meant different things. And I could see the way I life, the trajectory of our lives. I knew greatness was on this woman's part. Education is a tooling. Education is a fertilizer. Your plant can grow beyond the environment. It can grow beyond the supply of water. It can grow beyond the supply of fertilizers. Let me say this to you. You can be basically educated and you can be solidly educated. That's why I said both formal and informal. Formal are the ones that maybe your parents are able to give to you by education. Informal are the ones that you are able to push yourself to achieve also. And let me say this to you your informal education will be your edge in life because at certain stage everybody has the same level of education we all have masters and all that but after a while what some people now did with their extra time the extra that they now did with their life now begin to make them stand out from you that's why i said both formal and informal the formal one is the education the certification there are books you read that they will not give you any certificate for but actually will be your advantage in life there are there are lectures you attend there are courses you will take online that 
they will not give you certification for, but will be your greatest advantage in life. So both former and informal are necessary for you becoming everything. Please listen again. If you are not going to go to school and you're not going to pay attention to education, you have reduced the amount of two. It's like a plumber that does not have a wrench. It's like a carpenter that does not have a saw. It's like a doctor that does not have surgical equipment. And that is a man who is facing life without education. You have already limited the amount of tools that you can need. And there are some things you cannot do in life without proper tooling. And so you will be looking at some people making some advance, ad, advances, some progresses. You will know that they have the same head as you are. You will know that they have the same capacities but the tools that they have received are different from the tools that you have. Alright? So I feel like that is a major part of what education will play in your life. Yes, uh, wow. <laughs> so, so good. Education is too lame. Too your 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 toolbox must be full. Yes. And I love that you you, you use the example of and I so believe it too that that we are all born with a clean slate. What you choose, the process you choose to submit yourself to will determine what is written on your slate. And there are some people that actually submit themselves to funny process. You know you could have a slate that they wrote there. Yes. And it's true. But you have a tool that the words on it. The notes on it, they are meaningful. You enter yes. a conversation with somebody, and that is what I usually think about. It's a thing. Don't, there, there are some things you don't spiritualize. God has given us all this talent to trade with. Yes. If you don't trade, it will show. Yes. It yes. will show that you didn't trade. And yes. so, education is like you, you going in here and actually yes. trading with what yes. God has given to you. And the yes. extent to which you, you trade, it will show. I'm so delighted and excited that you shared all this with us. And in closing, we've learned a lot in this conversation. That we, but in our chat box, we have all the people just defying that this is profound. I just wanted you to share with us some of the lessons in your journey that you've learned. That while you are on this journey, some of the vital lessons Thank you, ma'am. Many things, but I think I'll just talk maybe three. One of the things I've learned is don't do tomorrow what you should do today. For me, it's one of the most important things I've learned in my life. Don't do tomorrow what you ought to do today. The reason is that there are some things that are season and time bound. Mm. If you miss those times and those seasons, you will still try to do them, but you will struggle much more to do them. Let me give you an instance. Mm. Sometimes in December last year, I didn't like the way my house was, so I wanted to plant flowers. But it was not a season for flowers. But there was this cash on my hand that I, I did not want to waste it. So I got an horticulturist to come and do that for me. So I planted it. But it was actually something that was done out of season because it was hamatan. And Elon is quite harsh, hamatan-wise. So I would say this. You know what happened? I had to struggle hard to keep those plants alive. I was sometimes an empty tank, almost a whole tank, you know, in my own compound, just trying to wet them and 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 wet them. Why did that happen? I missed the rainy season. As it, the rainy season in Elon extended to the November, October of that year, but I didn't plant in that season. I decided to plant out of season. So what the waters from heaven should have done for me, I had to do with my labor. I had to do with my cost. Now I have to pump water and pay extra NEPA bill. When there is no NEPA, I have to buy fuel in my generator to pump water. Now all that I did at my own cost, which heaven will have done for me, because the rain in season will have just done that for me with ease. Don't do tomorrow what you should do today. It will cost you a great deal. It will cost, cost you a great deal. Many times we 
we, we, we are there doing, you know, as it were, uh, procrastination. Procrastination is not a good thing. Procrastination is you thinking that, see, God has enough time to wait for you to actually let you achieve what you, tomorrow, what you should be achieving to today. I notice that every time you miss a season, and it is not that you miss it totally. You, you might still be able to catch up, but you will probably have to do times three or times four to achieve the same result when you could. Now, the beautiful thing is, it's raining season. I even don't remember to water those flowers, but they are growing now by themselves. Sometimes I wake up, I will see them, they've grown so much. I'm like, I'll have to call somebody, come on, please, because now in their season. Please don't be you as a young person. Don't do tomorrow what you should do today. It might be too costly, all right? Number two is, I see, start your journey early because it's very fun. Oh. Start your, yeah, start your journey early. Sincerely, that's number two for me. Start your journey early. Um, thank God the church I pastor started quite early, but you know what? Somewhere in my mind, I still always feel, I wish I started earlier. Yeah. I still always feel. I, I wish I started in my 20s. I know that I really wish I, I did. I'm not regretting. I'm just saying that if I were to choose again, I would go back and do it in my 20s. I started pastoring very early, but the ministry I started, that got me to start, that one I started in my 30s. But, I, but I'm saying that, see, the journey is long. Start early. Okay. And let me say this to you. Whenever you start, that's when time starts counting. What you have not started, you know, time doesn't start counting. All right? Oh. So if it takes 10 years to break into greatness, whenever you start your journey, that's when the 10 years start counting. All right? Wow. So, yeah. So if it takes, you know, 20 years to break, because God has a way of allotting time to think. I know that. So if it takes, I was reading a book many years ago by Malcolm Gladwell, The Outliers. And Malcolm Gladwell said that in the history of everything in this world, everyone called a genius has to rehearse 10,000 hours in order to become a genius. It's a minimum. And he said by study, actually, he said everybody that they have called a genius. And he went from geniuses of chess, geniuses of computer. He said minimum 10,000 hours they actually put in their job before the world could call them geniuses. And he spoke about Bill Gates and he had interview with all of these guys. I mean, you can get the book, The Outliers and everything. And he had interview with many of them and he could prove that only one or two people did it in less than 10,000 hours and they did it in 9,000 plus, 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 plus. It was just maybe 10, maybe maybe two hours short of 10,000 hours. Now, I want to say this. Whenever you start your journey is when your 10,000 hours start counting. If you start your journey at age 40, your 10,000 hours start counting at that. If you start it at 50, it starts counting. So start your journey early because the journey is long. And all that, start it early. Your journey is long. Start it early. Don't, and that also links me to the first one. You know, so don't 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 do tomorrow. You are not too young. If God has called you into something from campus, if you feel like you want to be an entrepreneur, start selling whatever you want to start selling on campus. Just balance it well. If God has called you into ministry, join a fellowship and serve with all your heart. Whatever it is that you feel, you know, start early. Start early. The journey is long. Your the hours of greatness start counting when you finally start. You know, not not when you start imagining. When the the hours of greatness will start counting when you finally start. Some people. Be become great at 70. It is not that 70 years is what it takes to be greatness, to be great. If they started at age 20, they would have been great at maybe 40. It's just that see, the life actually stays true to what to the timing. So I want to be seated you start early. And the last vital thing is that you don't work alone. Don't work alone. You need a mentor. Don't work alone. These are three vital things that that I've that, 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 that learned in my in my life. Don't work alone. You know, you need a mentor. I cannot 
exaggerate and overstate the place of mentors in my life. The mistakes I have made in life after I started following my mentors have become so minimal. Minimal. I mean, sincerely, I mean, I spoke with somebody and he asked me, he said, um, Students of Light Church is about 10, will be 10 years this December. Said about, or at least we'll be celebrating our 10 years this December. And he said something to me. He said, what are the mistakes you have made? When I told him the mistakes, this is a senior minister, the mistakes I've made and all that. And he said, is that all? Because I could only remember one in 10 years. And, and that one was not, and he, was, he said, he said that one. He said that's not a mistake. He said that is an administrative glitch. He said administrative glitches are not mistakes. He said because even when you're 50 years old, you still be making administrative glitch. That's normal. When you budget 50,000 for something and then you finally end up spending 350,000, that's the mistake I made. I budgeted 500,000 for a particular project that ended up spending almost 1.5 million. He said that's an administrative glitch. I said that's the only one I can remember. And he said, wow, if that's what I said, he said then God has been good to you. And I said to him, thank you, sir. It is because of people like you that I don't have many. I, so my mistakes in life are the minimum because I, I, for me I don't want to learn by experience no I, I want to learn by if I want to learn by experience so let's do by somebody's experience not mine <laughs> it's okay to learn by experience but learn it by somebody's own not, by, not your own so because I've learned it's costly actually yeah it's costly. like somebody said they said experience is the best teacher but can you pay the school fees you know because every, <laughs> teacher, every teacher must be paid must be paid the school fees so if experience is the best teacher the school fees is too expensive I can't afford it I think those are two things you know that I've learned you know, don't do tomorrow what you do today. Start your journey early because it's fun. And then, you see, don't work alone. So those, wow. are, those, are, those are things that I've learned and that helped me a great deal. I've helped me a great deal. Thank you. Wow. Thank you so very much, sir. It's been such a pleasure and a delight having this conversation with you today. Thank you, ma'am. wisdom you've shared with us, life principles that are truly transforming. And we just want to say thank you. Now, for every young person listening, we can make more the people that we bring your way are people that under God they've been tested and trusted. They are people that we can say follow and we'll close our eyes, go back and hide about them because the integrity of their work and the path in which they are following has been consistent over the years and we can say they are truly working the path. Please make use of this wise word. Uh, like Pastor Mewa said, see, if experience is a great teacher, you don't want to pay the school fees. It's expensive. It's costly. That's why you need to follow men that you can trust. And you can trust under God to say that they will lead you actually in the path of life. And these are the people that will bring you your way. Pastor Mewa, thank you so very much. Words are not enough to express our gratitude for this time out with you today. We just want to say thank you very much for the investment of we thank God for your presence and we're truly grateful and we know that the future is indeed bright. We know that you are indeed a general in this time and God thank is you, to mentor a lot of you and continue to use you. Thank you so very much. For everyone, please just say thank you very much for being watch that for Thank you. And let's just say thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much for coming out this morning. Uh, we didn't know you were away and you still graciously stay true to the time. Thank you and God bless thank you. you. Everyone in the room, thank you for the investment of your time. This is the April edition of Silent General. I will come your way again next month, bringing you another fantastic personality and we'll be bringing wisdom together. Thank you, Pastor Muiwa. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, in the room. you have a lovely weekend. All right, man. All right, man. Yes, sir.